It's great to be with my brothers and sisters here at our house. Um, uh, I remember when Chris gave me a call and said, can you uh, be with us? Edwin's been called to Australia. Uh, and so I said, sure. I looked at my calendar, and uh, one of the dates he asked I didn't have, but this one I did. So it's always a privilege to come and to share with you. Um, uh, one of our missionaries once went to Japan to do some lecturing, and uh, he asked me if uh, I wanted him to bring anything back for me, and I told him, well, bring me something that has to do with Godzilla. So, I'm a Godzilla fan. Um, I told Edwin to bring me back something from Australia. Uh, what do you think that might be? What do you think of when you think of Australia? A kangaroo, exactly. I told him, bring me back a kangaroo. I don't think he will. In fact, I sort of absolved him of that re requirement. But, uh, but it's great to be able to be with you. Do you remember the first book you read cover to cover? I don't mean the little picture books like The Pokey Little Puppy, that kind of thing. But the first book you actually read as a kid, cover to cover. Uh, the first one I remember, I remember I was a little kid, and, I, and uh, when I finished reading this, I, I realized, hey, this isn't just a cartoon book. This is actually a book. And it was a classic. It was the classic book, The Babysitter's Guide by Dennis the Menace. <laughs> now, if you're under 50, you don't know who I'm talking about. Uh, Dennis the Menace was uh, a very famous cartoon character for years. And uh, they made a TV show, which you look at one of the old re channels, you can still see it once in a while. Um, but I remember one of the, I had all the cartoon books with Dennis Menace too. I still have them in my, in my uh, home, my library. Uh, but I remember one cartoon in particular. Uh, Dennis and his pal Joey are uh, setting up lemonade stands. They used to do that way back when. And they're on the sidewalk, and uh, Dennis's pal Joey has set up a lemonade stand. He's got uh, a pitcher of lemonade. He's got glasses. And he's got a sign posted on the stand that says, Lemonade, five cents a glass. Well, Dennis, that was the going rate back then. Uh, Dennis has his lemonade stand right next to Joey's. Uh, he's got a pitcher of lemonade. He's got glasses just like Joey. But Dennis's sign reads, Lemonade, five dollars a glass. And uh, to his rather perplexed friend, Joey, Dennis, the caption says, Dennis says, I only have to sell one glass. <laughs> well, that's certainly true. If Dennis could sell one glass, he'd make more money than Joey could make in a week selling lemonade for five cents a glass. The, what's the problem? It's not real. It's not real for Dennis to expect he's going to sell even one glass of lemonade at that price. So, while it's true, if he only sold one glass, he'd make more money, it's not real that he would. Um, who's more valuable, Dennis or Joey? Who's going to sell more lemonade, Dennis or Joey? Yeah, yeah. Let me take that question out of the realm of Dennis the Menace and put it in our realm, our situation today. Are you increasingly useful to God or are you increasingly useless to God? I want to unpack that uh, for the few moments we have this morning. Uh, are you increasingly useful or increasingly useless to God? Now, some people might say, well, that can't happen to a Christian. You can't become more useless to God. Let me just refer to one little verse in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15. Some of you know this verse by heart. 
Let me read it to you. Do your best, you recognize the verses I read it, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You know, that word ashamed is a very unique word. Uh, the word translated ashamed here uh, in the Greek, this is the only time in the whole Bible it appears, just this one place. And it can be translated in different ways. Let me give you another translation. Do your best to be a worker who is not rendered useless. It's possible, brothers and sisters, for any believer in Jesus Christ to become more useless, in fact, useless entirely to God. Are you becoming more useless to God? Or are you becoming more useful to God? Let's examine that question against the backdrop of the life of the Apostle Paul for just a few moments. One of the great passages that every missionary turns to repeatedly, I know I have often turned to Acts 16 uh, to give me guidance and direction in ministry. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. We're going to be looking at that, always asking ourselves that basic question, are we becoming more useful or useless to God? Now, I don't know, do you still stand when you read this scripture? Okay, then why don't you stand, and uh, I'll read uh, uh, Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. In fact, I guess it's there. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to go at once to leave for Macedonia, um, concluding that God had called us to preach his gospel to them. You can have your seats. Just a few words of context for this passage, very interesting passage. Um, if you look back at chapter 15, the chapter just before this, you'll see that Paul and his friend Barnabas had just gone through a very traumatic experience. Uh, the great, first great council of the church was held in Jerusalem. The apostles gathered there, the elders of the church gathered there, and they had one question. They had to decide whether a Gentile, most of us here are Gentiles, uh, whether a Gentile could come to Christ as a Gentile, or whether they had to become a Jew first, be circumcised, and then receive Christ. And Paul and Barnabas had won the day. The church decided there that obviously that we received Christ by grace, not by works. Uh, and so that great battle in the church, which plagued Paul the rest of his missionary life, was won there in Jerusalem. And then at the end of chapter 15, another traumatic experience occurs because these two men, Barnabas and Paul, who had been such faithful partners, in fact, Barnabas was uh, Paul's mentor, they have a split. They can't agree on how to proceed in their missionary policy. And so they actually have to decide, well, they can't do ministry anymore together. And these two great men of God uh, have to break up and go their separate ways. And then at the beginning of chapter 16 here, something else very interesting happens. Um, the Apostle Paul now is trying to gather a new team, and one of the new team members he wants to bring with him is this man named Timothy. Now, Timothy's dad was a Gentile. His mother was a Jew. So Timothy had not been circumcised. So what does Paul do? Remember the battle they just fought there in the Jerusalem council? 
so that you don't do that in order to be saved. What Paul does, though, is he takes Timothy and has him circumcised. Why? He's doing that for missiological reasons, in other words, to be a good missionary. He's obviously not doctrinally, but he doesn't want to have to fight the battle. Every time he encounters a bunch of Jewish believers, why isn't this man circumcised? And so he has Timothy circumcised to make it easier to, uh, to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. You might think that after all that turmoil in Paul's life, uh, he might need some rest. At times we need rest, right, from turmoil in our lives. Uh, and uh, maybe some stability. Well, what kind of stability? You know, there are different kinds of stability. Um, if you uh, talk to anybody who knows me, uh, Raymond and Gus and, and Edwin, uh, they'll tell you I don't like to fly. I, anybody not like to fly like me? A few of you. Most of you don't like to fly, you just don't want to admit it. <laughs> but uh, the best part of any flight I'm on is when the planes land and I'm getting off the plane. That's always the part I look forward to. I fly because I have to for my ministry. But, uh, so my apologies, as I mentioned this here in a moment, to any pilots that might be here or any engineers, because you'll understand right away I'm not giving you very sophisticated information. But I understand that, that, air, that planes are designed either with something called static stability or dynamic stability. Let me explain what that means, uh, as best I understand it from reading about it. Um, some planes are designed with what engineers call static stability. The goal is for that plane to stay on course. It, its course is fixed, and as there's turbulence or whatever, it automatically adjusts to stay on the same course. Uh, instead of calling that uh, static stability, for our time here, why don't we call it autopilot? Some uh, planes are made to fly an autopilot to keep that, uh, not to, to resist change and keep on course. The other kind of stability is something called dynamic stability. And the goal here is not to stay on the same course but, and, uh, and resist change, but rather to adjust to change. If you're flying a, a fighter jet and you're being attacked, you don't want to go back to the same course, you'd be blown out of the air. And so the pilot adjusts auto, uh, on his own to dynamically, flexibly fly the plane so he keeps changing course according to the situation. Um, let's call that flexible flying. And some of you old-timers remember there's a flexible flyer, there's a sled, but we're going to use it a different way here. Uh, so are you on autopilot or are you flexibly flying? What was Paul doing here? Look at the beginning of verse 6 again. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Paul here, as he's going around Asia Minor, what's modern-day Turkey, is exhibiting here uh, dynamic stability. Uh, flexible flying. He's going all around there trying to find a place of ministry. It's true that when we fly on autopilot, it's a much easier life. If you try to resist change, drive it away and stay on one course, that's an easier way to live than if you're trying to adjust to the changes as, as they come. The reality, however, is that flexible flying makes us more productive to God. The more we end up in autopilot, the more stagnant we become, and the less useful we become to the Lord. The more we fly in, flexibly flying, adjusting to change as Jesus uh, drives our, is the pilot of our plane, the more useful to God we become. Are you tired of doing the same thing, in the same way, in the same place, staying on course on autopilot? 
If you are, you may be becoming more useless to God. Maybe we need to change to this flexible flying. There's more security in autopilot, but we become more productive when we're flying in a flexible way. You're getting stuck in the quagmire of static stability or autopilot. You need to change uh, to flexibly flying, adjusting to change as it comes, because you will become more useful to God as you adjust uh, to flying flexibly. That's what Paul was doing here. As he's roaming around Asia Minor here, trying to find a place of ministry, he's being driven by Jesus. And when you're driven by Christ, you're not going to stay in the same direction all the time because the situation around you changes. Uh, and Paul changed with the situation around him as Jesus led him. Now go back to verses 6 through 8 again. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Notice that. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Well, Paul is being directed by Christ, but to what? Paul keeps getting the door slammed in his face as he's traveling around here. Now remember our question. Each of us needs to ask ourselves, are we more useful or useless to God? Right? So Paul must be very confused here. Uh, God has led him here. Christ has, has uh, driven him here. And he's trying to find places to minister. And the doors keep getting slammed in his face. It may be true, as Paul was looking around him at Phrygia and Mycenae, there are many people there who needed Jesus. There were. There are many people there dying without Christ. And Paul must have thought, well, look at the needs here. This must be where the Lord is taking me. And yet every time he tried to go to that place, the Lord said no. What was God trying to tell him? He was trying to tell him the reality was God did not want Paul there. That's not where God wanted Paul. Where does God want you? Are you where God wants you to be, or are you responding to needs as they come? Many Christians feel that's their responsibility. I think we're going to see here in a moment that is not our responsibility. Because if we're always responding to needs, uh, then we become less productive to God in reality. Because we're denying our specific call. Do you know that God created you for a particular ministry? God made you to do a certain thing. Uh, and that's for every single believer, not just for leaders, whatever. Every single believer. If you know Jesus Christ, you have a very special calling from Christ in your life. And if you're not doing that, if you're just responding to needs, needs are always there. Needs are always important. Needs are always urgent. And most of the time, they're very legitimate. They're real needs. But if you're always responding to needs, you're never going to respond to the call of God in your life. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, you can turn there or just listen. Uh, Paul's namesake, King Saul, was the first king of Israel. Uh, and in this particular passage, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, uh, Saul is about ready to lead his army into battle against the Philistines. Um, just to set up this passage here, because they wanted to have the blessing of God, Samuel and Paul arranged for Samuel to make the sacrifice. Samuel was the great prophet of that time. It was his job to make the sacrifice. 
So Saul and Samuel agreed to meet seven days later at a certain place, and Saul would offer the sacrifice so that the armies could go into battle uh, with God's blessing. Now, let me read from 1 Samuel 13, verses 8 and 9. That's the context. Here's what happened. He, that is Saul, waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel didn't come, and Saul's men began to scatter. Uh, and so he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, and that you didn't come at the set time, and that the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down on me, against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled, look at that, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. When I think of the dialogue here between Samuel and Saul, uh, I think of that Taylor Swift song that's uh, very popular now, See What You Made Me Do? <laughs> see what you made me do, and Sam, Sam, Saul is saying to Sam, see what you made me do, Samuel, you were late, and he was late. And it was true that Saul's army was scattering. They were leaving him. Uh, and it was true that the Philistines were gathering for battle. And so Saul was saying, see what you made me do, just like Taylor Swift. But Samuel was not responsible for what Saul did. The needs were there. The needs were very urgent. They needed God's blessing. And Saul needed to keep the army from deserting him. But what was real? That was not Saul's job. God had called Samuel to make that sacrifice. And even though Samuel was late, Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel to make that sacrifice, and he didn't. What did he do instead? He decided to do something God had not called him to do, to make that sacrifice because he was responding to urgent need. And to go back to the Apostle Paul, he's traveling all around Asia Minor there in Turkey, trying to find the place of ministry. And all these doors were closing in his face. God was putting a fence between him and the needs all around him. Now, some people say, well, Paul could have pushed, shoved his way through those doors because look at all those people that needed the gospel. But if Paul had done that, he would have become, he would have become useless to God. That happens to you and me. Because sometimes we try to shove open doors God has shut. It's not that there aren't needs there. But those needs are for somebody else to do. That sacrifice that Saul made was for Samuel to make, not him. And you've got to trust the Lord that if those needs exist, God's going to take care of them. But he doesn't want you there. He wants you somewhere else. And that's what Paul was discovering here. Uh, Paul is becoming useful as he begins to see God has taken him in a different place. You need to know what God has called you to be and to do. You need to know why God put you here, because you have a specific purpose. And you need to focus your time and your energy and your life and your ministry on what God has called you to be and to do. Uh, sometimes we do have to respond to immediate needs. But often, if we're just responding to needs as they come, we begin to become useless to God, as King Saul did. Now, let me read verse 10 from our passage there in Acts 16. And... Uh, and Paul had seen, after Paul had seen the vision, uh, Luke gets, 
it joins the author of the book of Acts, joins the company at this point. After uh, Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, uh, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now remember our question, we're asking ourselves, interrogating ourselves this morning, I, am I right now, this moment, becoming more useful or more useless to God? Um, Paul was, uh, saw the vision. Uh, what he needed to see was how he fit into a bigger picture of what God was doing. Why was God sealing him off from the needs there in, in Asia Minor in order to get him to Europe? Because God had other people for those ministries. God's vision is bigger than yours. We have to understand that God is at work everywhere, throughout the entire creation uh, and throughout the entire world. It doesn't rest with us to do all the things that need to be done. And Paul understood that God wanted him to be in Europe. You know, you and I can drill down so narrowly in our particular ministry that we begin to lose uh, a concept, an idea, a vision of what God is doing throughout the world. Do you know you're linked together with people doing ministry right now all around the world? In Australia, in Kenya, everywhere you look, in China, in Russia, everywhere you look, God is at work, and you're a part of that. You're linked together. Why? Because you're doing what God wants you to do where he's put you. Um, sometimes we grow a little too content with doing one particular thing over and over again. Begin to, begin to lapse back to where we started, back, back to autopilot. You see, doing what God has called us to do doesn't mean you're going to do the same thing all the time in the same way, because you're going to be adjusting. Um, sometimes we lose that focus. We lose the broader perspective of what God is doing in the world because we're so narrowly focused on what we're doing. We need to avoid the temptation to lapse back into autopilot by having too limited a focus on what God is doing. Do you see how you're linked together with what the Lord is doing in the world? I had an extraordinary experience, uh, and I'll close with this. Uh, a few months ago, uh, one of our missionaries, uh, two of our missionaries actually, that I uh, work with in Boston, had just come back from Ethiopia. Uh, one of them worked in a test bay, is himself Ethiopian. He's starting Ethiopian church in Boston. Uh, and Paul Bothwell had gone with him. Um, as his supervisor. And they brought some video of what was going on in Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia. They had just helped, uh, uh, worked on it, just helped to start a church there. And I was just amazed, because there were, it was a real, genuine work of God. Signs and wonders were happening. Masses of people were coming to Christ. Um, young people were walking in and mass through the doors, not being invited, coming through on their own to say, we want to meet Jesus. And something amazing was happening there. I, I was reminded of Paul's first visit to Ephesus and how what a, a, a magnificent work of God was there to underscore the gospel as it was being proclaimed. Uh, and I was talking to Workna uh, Tesfe. Uh, remember, Workna is from Ethiopia. Um, uh, his church in Boston helped to start the church in Addis Ababa. And I asked Workna, what did he, what did he think about uh, his ministry in Boston vis-a-vis -vis what was happening back in his homeland? And he told me, well, Mark, it's, it's really a tension because God is doing some amazing things in my homeland. And yet, does God want me to serve him in a much harder, much slower work in trying to start an Ethiopian church in Boston? 
What should I do? Uh, and that's a dilemma that all of us face. Uh, Workner, I asked him, is this something that is for a season, or is this going to go on, this, this revival in, in Ethiopia? He said it's for a season. It's not going to last forever. It's going to slow down, as most movements like this, movements of God do. Um, so where should he be? There were great needs there in Addis Ababa, but God had called him to start that church in Boston. What should he do? What should you do? You're going to be confronted by needs all the time. Just as workness saw that great work of God. Sometimes you'll be looking at somebody else's ministry to see how God is blessing it and wondering why you shouldn't go over there and be a part of that. But Workner decided that God didn't want him there. God wanted him in Boston in a much slower, much harder work, fighting the devil for every soul, because that's where God put him. Just like Saul had to, uh, Paul had to understand that God didn't want him in Asia Minor, all these places of need. He wanted him in Europe. And so work now, while he will make his trips back to Ethiopia to uh, uh, help there, and this, this we expect will be the beginning of a whole church planting movement there in, uh, in Ethiopia, starting in Addis Ababa. He's going to put his primary focus and time and energy into starting the Ethiopian church in Boston because that's his call. And in one way or another, each and every one of us faces the same decision. You go in one direction, and you're going to become increasingly useless to God. The great irony is that if Workner was to spend his majority, leave Boston and go back to his homeland, and spend the majority of time there, he would become increasingly useless to God because that's not what God wanted him to be doing. Uh, as he stays in Boston, makes trips to Ethiopia, but as he stays there to plant that church and much harder work, he becomes more and more useful to God. Well, which direction are you going in? You can't stand still. Either you're becoming more useful or more useless to God. Which direction are you traveling in? Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you call us. We thank you that uh, you don't call us just to do one thing all the time the same way and try to resist all the changes that uh, happen around us, Lord, but you call us to do ministry in a flexible way. And Father, we uh, want to uh, drill down on what you called us to be and to do, but we don't want to get stuck, Lord, become stagnant in doing those things that are important, uh, responding to needs all the time, Father, but are not uh, the things you want us to be doing. And Father, help us to focus. Help us to understand the focus, to drill down on what you called us to be, what you set before us to do. I pray that for myself, Father. I pray that for my brothers and sisters here. And we thank you as, I, as you guide and direct us uh, down this path. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.